0: Welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. Ryan Parker. And we talk about television serials most of the time, but occasionally we take a little liberty because we're libertines. And take a detour. And uh, we're between series right now. Sure. And so we decided we're, we're going to do a couple different things. This week we're going to talk about a documentary that's on Netflix. And next week, we are uh, going to talk about Transparent. Uh, Would seasons. You, you've, you've kind of watched all three seasons fairly close together, right? I've watched seasons two and three. Binge, okay. I've binged them both in the last week on airplanes. Okay. So, okay. Um, and I'm going to try
1: to knock out three over this week. The last
0: couple weeks. So, yeah, it, for, for those of you listening, uh, watch Transparent season three, binge it over the next week. Or rewatch it. My wife Courtney's watching two and three, binging them right now, so maybe she can come on with us too. But it's fascinating. Anyway, yeah. today we're talking about this documentary called Amanda Knox on, streaming Netflix, on Netflix. Streaming on Netflix, and it's gotten quite a bit of buzz. Because uh, Amanda Knox has, she's never really been out of the news. Like she's in the news there are always different reasons she kind of pops back up in the news. And so the first obviously
1: is around a murder case in 2007. Yeah, in Italy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Italy where she was accused of murder and she was found guilty. And then upon appeals over the series of the next 3 or 4 years she was she, acquitted. Was, she was acquitted twice. So she to was
0: acquitted point, then found guilty again, then acquitted again.
1: Good point. Yeah. So, to your point, it's that recurring, it's the same crime, but it, it, it you know, recurs in the news um, over a period of what?
0: It seemed like six, seven years? Oh, at least. I mean, I don't think it was till twenty. I don't think it was till 2015. It seemed like the documentary crew was with her when she got the second acquittal. Because she's in her parents' house, it looks like, and she's jumping up and down, and she calls Raffaele on the yeah. phone and speaks to him in Italian.
1: Yeah, we'll come back to him. That's the—that's her boyfriend at the time.
0: I mean, the premise is that Amanda Knox, as, as anybody who wasn't living under a rock will remember, was uh, like a very kind of cute, blonde, um, party girl type of... Uh, American college student who went on American, a study abroad program. Like thousands, does what every
1: American college student does when they go abroad. They fall in love and party.
0: They fall in love. That's what. She fell in love with an Italian guy. Raphael. And, and five days later, her British roommate was sexually Michelle. abused and murdered. Meredith. I'm sorry, Meredith. Meredith. Yeah. Then, you know... Uh, there's an investigation. A hasty investigation. A, a man is. It immediately becomes a massive international story. Massive. I mean, th- this is a big part of this documentary. Is the thousands of journalists who are trying to jam into courtrooms and into the like main village square in Perugia, Italy, to try to get you know coverage and they're. You know, it's it's that – you see that documentary style where they're, like, flashing headlines. And, and another person who's a big uh, character in this doc is Nick Pisa, who's a freelance American journalist. Who, British journalist. Who, who he's a British – I thought he was – but he's he's writing for the Daily Mail. Yeah. Yeah. So um, – so, so you have several
1: key players, and you, you've already touched on those. So there's Amanda – her boyfriend Raphael. Then you have the lead prosecutor Giuliano, the freelance journalist Nick, um, and then another a comp, another suspect in the murder, a guy by the name of Rudy. Yep.
0: So you have all of these these kind of character, their characters, the main characters, and in, for sh- in yeah. the story, and and Amanda Knox. It, it's very stark. I thought the way that it. The way that the, sh- the dock opens for two two reasons. I thought it was stark. One is, I mean, we're all very used to seeing photos of Amanda Knox. She's a super recognizable figure. Okay. But, but when you but the the what we've seen of her, she was always more fresh faced, younger, okay. a little bit, um, a little bit cute. Like that was how she was just cute. That was part of the part of the narrative too, and she is now fairly severe. And I thought it was just interesting, even the way I don't know if the way she chose to dress or like the way the directors of the doc chose to dress her. But she is sitting on a chair, and she's wearing a pretty tight shirt that shows that she's very thin, much thinner than she was. Yeah, her face is gaunt looking. Yeah, and. This is, I'd like to ask what you think about this, because you don't often see this in documentaries. She's looking directly at the camera. She's not talking to a producer off camera or an interviewer. She's looking at the camera, which is, you, you, you don't often see that in documentaries. Yeah, Tony, those are good observations.
1: I think any time in prison and the stress of that ordeal would take its toll on her physically. And I think that's part of what, the documentary is showing without necessarily telling us and making a huge claim about that. And then secondly, her addressing the camera directly, which is in a sense, her addressing the viewer is I think as the documentary is doing, making us all culpable in her ordeal. And we'll say more about this, especially through the journalist, uh, Nick and some of the comments he makes towards the end of the documentary Um, What is it about our uh, collective need to feed on stories like this that hasten? And I think the film shows this very powerfully, that hastens the investigation, the coverage of the event and the outcome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I liked the way I liked the pacing of it. The other thing that, you know, you start with Amanda Knox in the present day. So there's no suspense. I mean, you know she's not in prison. She's not sitting there in a jumpsuit being interviewed. And if you followed it, you know she's been acquitted. So there's no, you know, that's, I've always thought that's a challenge for a documentarian when you, or any kind of filmmaker, when the audience knows how the story ends. That's a, that's a special challenge in storytelling. But it starts with Amanda Knox, you know, in this, in this black screen background. And then it, you know the b-roll is of her she's dude she's like a cat lady you know what i'm saying how do you mean mean, mean? the b-roll is of her like in her apart in her in her crummy Uh, she's just by herself she's like in this crummy house behind the a main house that she's renting and like she's cooking eggs for herself and 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 drinking or like cooking pasta drinking a glass of wine and like petting her three cats. It's So, Tony, How? here's the question, though.
1: How would you come out of an ordeal like that? I mean, the question that she asks the viewer at the beginning is either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing or I'm you. She says, quite, it, she frankly, says- we're- quite frankly, we're all her because we can all be. You and I have talked about this at Link talking about other shows. All it takes these days is an accusation. And, you know, your life can change completely. And...
0: So like how would what would we do? Here here's what here's what I found intriguing about Amanda Knox the character. And and I've always been quite honestly I've always been intrigued by and drawn to Amanda Knox because let's be honest, she comes from the exact same demographic as you and me. Like upper and she's upper middle class white girl going to a good college who, you know, has rich friends and parties a little bit and is like got a you know she's got a 50 dollar haircut and got nice clothes like that's the world she comes from and she like who gets to fly over to spend a semester living in perugia you know what i mean yeah and what i found intriguing about her in this in this documentary is she seems so she she's smart she's intelligent she's even wise like she's 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 not She's not dumb or unsophisticated. That's
1: and, interesting that you say that because I didn't get that perception at all.
0: Because, well, when she says things like, uh, either way, I'm your worst nightmare. I'm your worst nightmare because I'm the person who commits a murder who you would never, ever suspect to commit a murder so you can't guard against. Or I'm your worst nightmare because I'm you, because any innocent person can be framed for murder.
1: That's a, good, that's a wisdom I think that's hard earned. I mean, I think the, yeah. the Amanda Knox that we meet early in the documentary, when she's even reflecting on her own experience of being stateside in college and then moving overseas, to me, it felt like an example of kind of the delayed adolescence of a lot of American college
0: oh, totally. kids totally. See, I mean th- there's so this her
1: behavior, of- her behavior around the event, um, gu- guilty or not. Um, was she may be innocent of murder, but she's not innocent of stupidity.
0: I totally agree, and that's what I'm saying. I'm surprised, and she has she has wised up because she's so unsophisticated, and and you might even say just stupid in the way she handles it. First of all, there's this point late in the documentary where she says something like, she, I only knew this guy for five days. It was five days with Raffaele, and the, the But you're watching this documentary, and the way these two talk about each other, particularly the way Raffaele talks about her, is like we were in love, and you know I slept with like we we. we she were refers to
1: she just she constantly says we made we were making love and we made love and yeah
0: we made love we made love just rolling
1: in your eyes and you're she like she met if,
0: him five days before the murder five yeah. days it wasn't even like they dated for a couple months it was. It was five days. And yeah. and so you've got that piece that shows just such immaturity. Not that people don't fall madly in love when they're 20 years old and, you know, start sleeping with somebody or whatever. But you probably don't talk about that person like we were in love. They could barely yeah. speak the same language. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And then there's all this. I mean, here's the most intriguing thing. And this was... A, I think this is what drove a lot of the news coverage, and it's clearly what drove the first prosecution in the first trial, is that Amanda Knox acted oddly. Yeah. She didn't seem, there's that clip of her and Raffaele kissing right outside the murder scene. She doesn't seem sad. She doesn't seem remorseful. She's, like, sending text messages to people. There's a voicemail that they play. Just She what, does just when I thought, oh, she didn't do it, they play this voicemail of her like talking to a high school friend back in the States. Yeah. She's like, yeah, it's been a really hard day, but oh, my God, I'm so in love. I'm so in love. And, you know, like your roommate was just murdered, sister. And she's, and she's, not, she's not afraid
1: either. She's not scared. No. And I think there's a healthy fear. And then there's the type of fear that, that I think the authorities and the media exploit that we see them exploit in the documentary, and that she touches on that. Again, part of her kind of hard-won wisdom is her, one of her concluding lines in the documentary is that fear makes people crazy.
0: Yeah. I think it's so fascinating. She... she now, here's the other thing I'd say. I mean, the, the, the one thing I said to my wife when I got off the airplane and I had just watched this, and I did... I mean, at the end, when she was acquitted the first time when she was in the courtroom and when she was acquitted, I was, yeah. I was crying on the airplane. Really? Oh yeah. I really was like, I, because I just couldn't imagine how terrified she must've been as a 20 at that point, maybe, you know, well, I guess she'd been in prison for four like, years. So she's like yeah. 20, 24 years old at the time. Yeah. And, so, and, and yet, and yet I did say to Courtney, This is someone who had no moral compass. I don't think Amanda Knox was raised in a way that... I mean, of course, you'd be like, yeah, murder is wrong or whatever. But there's no reflection by her when she's doing this interview looking straight into the camera now, you know, 10 years later, in which she talks about any kind of moral code. It's all just about, like... I was wronged. It was. It's never about. There, there's never. She's never more circumspect. Other than I guess that one quote that I already gave you. And would. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Her and her family when they show up. There's. You know. The look. The documentary's limited. It's ninety minutes. It's yeah. focusing on her and her ordeal. But her parents never seem to be. They, they seem supportive. But there's never any sense of
0: slight frustration that
1: that she
0: was in this position. Right. And and yeah, you wonder if maybe they ha- haven't been able to be honest about that. They 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 can't come clean and say, "Yeah, when she got back here, we were like WTF, you know, yeah. like what are you doing? Why did you laugh and giggle in the police station when they're questioning your boyfriend about the murder? And then why did you pin it on Rudy and why, I mean there's so much weird stuff because we've been lucky to travel a little bit, you know and mm. and
1: I'm going to tell you, no matter where I go the last place I want to end up and I have been detained internationally <laughs> the last place I want to be is in a prison right, right. in another country yeah. I don't care if it's England you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, or Italy I, those are the last place I want to be and when I'm in there, I'm certainly not going to be uh, finding
0: anything funny or humorous about the situation? No, right? that's a, exactly right. You're you're not going to be dismissive of the cops. You're going to be. You, you'd think even a 20 year old would know that. My gosh, I mean, if I if my 16 year old ended up in an Italian uh, police station, he would be as as somber, terrified. A, a, yeah, as a person could be. You know, Tony.
1: Let's talk about two. Let's talk about two big themes in in the show because they're going to take a little bit of time here let's talk about the media and let's talk about the justice system
0: well let's yeah i was going to pivot from from amanda knox's seeming lack of any kind of moral compass that grounds her to, to the completely amoral <laughs> to the completely amoral and then we'll wrap it up to the to the very moral the completely amoral is the journalist and he shows absolutely no ability to reflect on his own role in this story i mean he's, and he's really a stand in i mean we can bag on yeah. this guy for 10 minutes but he is
1: representative of a wide range of outlets and journalists
0: i mean it's 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 almost sickening the way he laughs and giggles about i couldn't believe it i was seeing my name on the front page of newspapers do you know how many front page placements i got and and I'm like, dude, a girl died, man. And he's and he and
1: they and he consistently refers to the need to publish things before a competitor can get to them. Yeah, yep, absolutely. He's got to get the scoop. What do That's you expect us to do? Wait and let someone else get the scoop? Right. So right. they publish things that are completely unfounded. I mean, there are accusations of bestiality and ritual killings and all these things, which don't seem in any way to be true. Yeah. But yet it's, you know, to me, it's just so indicative of the kind of fake news cycles that we really have that have come to attention in the last three, four weeks Uh, and the way that that leads to action.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting even that there's a little cameo by Donald Trump who had an opinion, who had an opinion about Amanda Knox,
1: you know? Yeah. So it's – it, and talking about their inability to be – and I would say they just because of the, the, these journalists to be self-reflecting. You know, what the documentary really shows are the role uh, – the ways in which media shape narratives for us that are explicitly and implicitly racist and sexist. Yeah. And, and a couple of the explicit cases here were – you know, there was a clip of, of uh, Shepard Smith talking about – she showed up for a court appearance and he was commenting on her – Poor looks, um, and then you take uh, the Rudy character, who's who is a African guy who is nobody comments on his uh, guilt or innocence, other than the fact that oh he's guilty, right? I mean, granted his DNA was all over the place, but there's no wringing of hands about uh, his guilt or going to prison, and a lot I think a lot of that to do has to do with the fact that he's black
0: yeah yeah I mean uh, for sure for sure that's there there was that that's a theme in this thing and the, the the theme I mean you you can't cover a story like this I think without stepping back and thinking how many people are murdered every day how many people are falsely convicted every day and yet people were obsessed with her and they said it without you know because this is a like a cute white girl. This was Foxy Noxy. You know, if, I'm only asking this question because the
1: show begs it. If, if, if she would have been a guy or less attractive, probably wouldn't have been as big a news.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Without question. Okay. In either I, one of those cases. And the yeah. fact that the roommate who was killed was also very attractive and, and the fact that they could dig up stuff from social media in which Amanda Knox had her nickname for herself was Foxy Knoxy, and they had these videos of her swearing that she was kind of a bad girl and the fact that then i mean what's she journals in she journals in jail her journals are somehow leaked to the press and we find out that you know by age 20 she'd already slept with seven different guys i mean i, I guess, the, you know one of the one of the
1: Strong points in the documentary, at least it's the way it kind of recovered these events in this case, was showing how seemingly in bed the media was with the investigative teams Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just how poorly uh, the investigation took place. And, you know, we live in a world, and if we live in particular legal systems— Those are things that can
0: kind of ruin a case, right? Um, Yeah, it it is funny how, um, you know, if we're going to pivot between, I I would just want to say this about Nick Pisa. You get to the end of the documentary where everyone's kind of doing a little bit of soul searching, and he is the only character who doesn't, the only person in this who doesn't. He doesn't. he doesn't. It doesn't even. He's like, "Hey, man, I just reported what the cops said. It's not on me." And it's just completely... And, and if people didn't want to read it, I wouldn't write it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. He, so he then, places the blame on us, the the audience. Right. Which kind of leads us to the pivot to the to the. Um, it leads us to pivot toward the the legal system in Italy because here's the thing: the the legal system. Basically, points to the journalists and say, "the the feeding frenzy of journalists made us um, investigate and prosecute this case too quickly." Yeah, it was even, their the, fault.
1: even the chief inspector Giuliano says that, right? And it, not not in so many words, but he says we he talks about feeling pressure to solve the case. Yeah, but, and that pressure
0: was from both the press and the public. But when but when Nick Pisa is asked about that at the end he's like oh no not at all like we're we're just doing what they you know we're just doing what they told us to do or what they what they released to us we put no pressure on the cops at all they need to just do their job it's it's crazy well that this leads us and it's a nice kind of concluding character for us to to think about but that is that lead prosecutor you just talked about Giuliano Mignini. Magnini I've never the GN is always tough in Italian for me he has these two very kind of overtly theological statements one is early in the doc where he says um, I am a I'm a Catholic so I ha- yeah. I I have this paradox I believe in these two contradicting claims on the one hand i believe god is in charge of everything on the other hand i believe human beings have free will yeah and he's just kind of like i live in that i live in that tension yeah you know and then I'm at like the, well that's just bad theology son and then, and then at the end <laughs> and then at the end he says i mean it, I, I thought it was i thought it was a great kind of moment of humility in which he says he doesn't say I st- like it, it seems like whenever I watch one of these true crime things and an Ameri- it's an American prosecutor and somebody got off they'll say I still think they did it yeah he doesn't yeah. say that he doesn't say that he says no. he says if if she did it
1: then in no no first Tony let me jump in first yeah. he says even more humbly I think if she didn't do it I hope she can
0: recover essentially from the suffering that we've caused. That's right. And if she did do it, did do it. She'll be judged for it. There's another judgment coming. Yeah. There is a final judgment. He says, yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) so like he can
1: sleep at night, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, so there's, I mean that those are two, they're not necessarily independent of one another. I mean, I have, you know, we can talk all day about his, Kind of opening theology about you know God's you know omnipotence and humanity's complete free will. Yeah, we could talk about the all day about the idea of a final judgment, but that humility that you're talking about at least gives space for. I don't know if this is the right word that I'm looking for here, but it gives space for grace.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Right. Because it's not—now, granted, if somebody kills somebody, we would want them to be brought to justice, and I don't know that that always looks like justice the way we do it now. But, you know, at least it allows him to not carry this desire for revenge or this grudge against his own system. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It just free. it seems to free someone up to to move on or to move through— life
0: is that i don't know does that make yeah, sense yeah i totally think that's right this is what i'm saying like i think that you know he said that um you know people come up to him and they're frustrated that the prosecute that she, that amanda Knox got off or whatever but basically i think he's saying i can sleep at night and he's saying which, which i think i just i really he, he was the most circumspect and wise figure. He's like the oracle of this documentary because he ends up basically saying human law is fallible. Yeah. I don't know if we got it right or wrong, but luckily we don't ultimately have to get it right or wrong. There's, you know,
1: and he says before that about life ending with a trial, he says, you know, we all exist between good and evil. Yeah. And, you know, I think this, this documentary in this case is uh, interesting because like, how to make you know making a murder is you know at the end of the day can anyone definitively say what happened apart from the people who were there right and there are cases like that if you, you've already talked about where people are wrongfully convicted or they're you know wrongfully acquitted mm-hmm. and and we just can't know um because it's in, we live in this imperfect world and You know, and in in this case with Amanda Knox, things were handled so irresponsibly by so many people. Yeah, that's right. It only made that worse. Yeah, that's right. But to and and for the Americans to come in and and the film shows how American reporters and I guess, you know, legal consultants or whatever were accusing the Italians of, of basically having a poor judicial system. And, you know, which is hilarious that anybody would would hold our justice system up as as some sort of perfect system but there's a guy there's i forget his name but he's the he's the guy that says um the, one of the there's one of these appeals guys who says you know we had a school for law here in Perugia in 1308 what was happening in America in 1308 Yeah, he's like, they were still painting
0: buffaloes on caves. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one thing, I mean, I I guess in the end, one of the most beautiful parts of this documentary and probably an underappreciated part of this documentary is how it juxtaposes this, this kind of long, slow, almost ancient or at least medieval process of Italian law courts where they're in this old law room building, you know. That What's a,
1: crucifix, or, a crucifix, a giant crucifix on crucifix the wall. A crucifix
0: on the wall, and like the, the judges wearing robes and wigs and a room that's, that was like held the University of Perugia's first law, law um, school class. And then you've got like the feeding frenzy of American and British media that need an immediate fix and an immediate answer and a breaking story and a scoop. And um I just thought in the end that that was and 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 it's like um Amanda Knox this relatively, you know, immature, unsophisticated American college girl got caught between these two institutions and really got chewed up and from the looks of it you know, really chewed up, really chewed up. And she's up. really,
1: she's, she is so correct, but because whether she's guilty or not, and whether she's a psychopath or not, her second statement still holds true. She's anybody. Yeah. She's everybody. Yeah. Uh, yep. Kind of in the world that we, that we find ourselves now. And I, you know, I, to me, I'm glad you brought this, you, you mentioned this to me yesterday via text and I'm, I'm glad I watched it yesterday because it's, it, you do put that in conversation with. Uh, making of a murder and but this is 90 minutes and so you can watch it real quick so i think part of us talking about this hopefully people go and watch it and engage in these kinds of yeah uh conversations with who you know it's always it's good to watch i watched it with a buddy yesterday and we were just we talked about it just throughout the whole show it was like
0: we got to pause it did they just say that you know Yeah, yeah yeah well okay final verdict before we go did she do it or not oh my gosh um no I'm. I, I don't think. I think Rudy did it. I think. It's I think the all DNA.
1: Rudy. I mean, the when they start showing all the DNA stuff, that's just. And then how her seemed so circumstantial when the appeals. When when it went through appeals and they yeah. reopened the case, yeah, and they brought in the forensic experts and the DNA specialists and the case against her seemed even more flimsy, yeah. Uh, and then the mountain of DNA from Rudy that was on the scene. Yeah, totally. Again, we weren't there, but it, it seems difficult that she did that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, this was good. And um, yeah, it's you, a good. It's a good ninety minutes. It's uh, yeah. People, you should watch it now. You can onto your phone or your iPad or your computer. You can download Netflix shows as you know.
1: Oh. When you're traveling over the holidays, download this one. If you're on a plane, check that's, it out. That's
0: how I watched it just last week yeah. on, a, on a flight home. Same
1: same thing with uh, with Transparent. Do if you got yeah.
0: up, you're doing some traveling, download the episodes from Amazon. Do it, people. All yeah. right, all right. Thanks for listening, Thanks, everybody. Transparent season three next week.